Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the Managing Director of B Squared and the host of the Sendcast, the special needs podcast. Each week, we'll be talking about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools, and to empower parents. In this episode, our guest is Fintan O'Regan. Fintan has been a head teacher, lecturer for Leicester University, and now works as a trainer and consultant for schools and school support systems. In this episode, we're talking about good mental health and the power of mood. Before we get started, have you heard of the Virtual Send Conference? This is a conference we started running in 2019 that makes CPD around SEND more affordable and easier to access. It runs twice a year over the internet, but you can watch the videos whenever you need to, as they are always available. For more information, visit www.virtualsendconference.com. At the end of the episode, I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. Now on with the podcast. In this week's show, we are discussing good mental health and the power of mood. Joining me today is Fintan O'Regan. Fintan is a trainer and consultant for schools and school support systems, including social services, health, the police and foster carers. He supports them by providing behaviour management strategies for children and families struggling with SEND and behaviour issues. Before this, he's worked with a number of organisations, including Nason, Institute of Education, Leicester University, the UK ADHD Network, and the European ADHD Alliance. And before all of this, he was a head teacher of a specialist school for students with ADHD, ADSD, and ODD. Welcome to the show, Finton. Thank you, Dale. Thank you for inviting me. Excellent. Mental health is hugely important. There is new guidance from the DfE around sex and relationship education that includes mental health and positive relationships, and that has just come into effect this year. And there's also a lot of talk about mental health in the media. Now, one of the ways you can support mental health is by supporting and helping someone to manage their mood. Dale, I've been, you're right, everything you said about mental health. I think, first of all, it's important for us to um, to. to make the issue that mental health is is as important as physical health always has been i think for some years we were somewhat a little bit reluctant to talk about mental health i think things have improved massively over the last sort of 10 15 years from 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 various sources actually but when it comes to this whole area of how to manage it there'll be different interpretations of what causes mental health issues and you know we can talk about anxiety and depression and some of those other terms we associate with that but I'm I'm pretty convinced that in all the training I've been doing over the years um, both with teachers and with parents you know working with children and young people who with mental health issues that the one area that that if we focus on to support these issues is is this word mood which we all use but I think we need to maybe have a more structured approach to what I would call management of mood or mood management. Okay. So what do you mean by mood management? Because it's not just, go on, be happy. Yeah, it doesn't quite happen always that way. Although, you know, as you say, mood is a spectrum. It's a spectrum from, you know, as you say, from depression to being happy. But And it doesn't mean that all people who have mental health issues need to be happy all the time but it's a more practical way of of working with the behavior if you like around mental health which is generally what we 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 tend to be talking about particularly if you're in a a setting where you've got a child or a young person who's who's struggling or disruptive or being defiant or or being different 
And I think, you know, what is good mental health versus what is not good mental health will be open to a massive interpretation. But I am a big fan of not talking about behavior management. I am much, I much prefer talking about management of mood in order to, in order to deal with or to support the behavior. Cool. So I think the first bit is, is like recognizing moods, isn't it? Recognizing how you're, you're feeling yourself. Very much so. I, when I work both with teachers and with parents, we, we talk very much about the, the, the three moods, if you like, the three most important moods. Now, if it's a classroom setting and I'm asked to go in to watch a child, particularly if they have some disruptive or, or different behaviours, I'm looking at three kind of aspects of that. I'm looking at, obviously, the, the, the reaction of the teacher I'm also looking at very much at the reaction of, of the, the peers of this particular student as well. And obviously I'm looking at the, the student, him or herself. But what I will say is that what, what generally speaking is going to be the, the, the more important areas to focus on is not the individual I've been asked to see, but it's on the, on the performance, if you like, or the reaction of both the teacher and the others in terms of supporting the the individual who have been asked to see. So the most there's three moods. The most important one is 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 yours. The second one will be the others. And the third one is usually the person that you're trying to support. Okay. So there's um there's one of those signs you see in the toilets people buy my this was on my parents' house and it was it, it stuck with me for a long time and it was in every relationship there are six people. There's the person I think I am. There's a person you think you are. Mm. There's a person I think you are. There's a person you think I am. <laughs> and then there is the actual person I am, which is somewhere in between who I think I'm being and who you think I'm being. So, that, and you sit there and go, sometimes what you're trying to do is not always received in the same way. So, I think in that situation, is what I'm doing and how you perceive that could be very different. And that can affect them, that mood, can't it? Yeah, I mean the the example is, is 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 it's not my one before, but when you have a situation, let's say between a parent and a child, the the child is usually feeding very much off the the anxiety or or the the, the expression, if you like, of of the parent, and and when it comes down to it, what we're trying to do is is change their mood, is to change their their approach. What we what we miss sometimes is that the, the the most the only mood that you can to a certain extent control is your own, or you are more likely to be able to control your own mood than someone else's mood. But once you are to a certain extent in control of your own actions, your own ways in which you respond, you very much influence the the reaction of the other per- person beside them. It's the analogy of being in a plane where you are there. And um, I, I have twins, for example. So I have a twin one sitting beside me on my left. I have twin two sitting beside me on my right. When, if the plane hit some turbulence or there was some, you know, issues of oxygen, you know, decrease, whatever, the oxygen mask would come down. And so the, the tendency is to, you know, in order to protect your children, you'd obviously want to put their masks on first. But the pilot will be very, very clear about whose mask should go on first. And that should be you, because when you are breathing properly, then you can help them breathe properly. And that is the same sort of analogy here. And by the way, the answer to that would not be to put it on 
the favourite child between the twins either. But I say one of the things is is you might put your mask on and then you have a look each way and see one child is struggling and put it on there. The other might might just go, oh, I'm not the favourite. Yeah, yeah. Completely well, subconscious. You yeah. you chose one who needed more help, but how a child might perceive in that situation. Hopefully, they're not worrying about who's the favourite child in that situation. Probably, probably not. But you will be you will be in control. And it it always sounds a little simple the word itself, but. I I became sort of very interested in this over years ago as as a head teacher because the reason why I'm going this view is that because we talk about behaviour and we talk about behaviour management, the issue of behaviour as a self as, as a word is is quite a it's quite a complicated term and and when we talk about people's behaviour, it's quite interesting because. Obviously, we all agree that some behaviours will be, you know, will be either antisocial or will be, or will be sort of, but certainly shouldn't be taking place in certain cases. But, but what what some what some people perceive as some people being annoying, other people find as quite interesting, or or as, as someone who comes across as being. I don't know. Always like in a school, for example, someone always puts their hands up in the air and interrupts. You know, some people say, "Oh, he's interrupting." Other people say, "No, he's just." He's just really eager. And the reason why I'm saying this is because we would go, I'd go to staff meetings at the end of the day and we'd be talking about a certain child in, in the room. And one child, one person would be talking about him and saying, oh, he's, he's always interrupting other people. He's a, he's, a, he's a real pain in class. The other person's saying he's just overly enthusiastic. And I'd be saying, we're talking about the same child here. Why do you see it that way? And, 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 and why do you see it another way? So it struck it struck me that our perception of how we see people, if you like, can differ depending on our own our own patience, our own ways in which we, you know, our own likes or dislikes, if you like, about about a personality. But when it comes to you know managing behaviour, if it comes managing things which people see as disruptive or distracting, it is far more powerful, I think, to be talking about managing their mood than managing their behavior because behavior is too abstract in that situation what you want to be doing is you want to be changing you want to be changing the attitude or the reaction of that person towards a certain situation and the the best way of doing that is to work on their mood versus their behavior and i think it's important to remember how reflective children are so previously we talked on a podcast that when your young child falls over and you run towards them looking you're worried that's telling that child there's something to worry about. So I, it's quite, my knee hurts. I'm allowed to cry because I can worry. So when a child's in a situation, they do something and you shout at them, it's almost they will then reflect that shouting back at you. So you end up with a bit of a shouting match because they're reflecting you're being shouty, so I should be shouting in this situation. And when a child's in a situation for the first time, they'll have no idea how to react. So they'll see what you're doing and they'll reflect how you're being. That, that is so true. And, and I think, you see, the thing about it is when they're younger, we use mood management all the time. It's when they're older, we start trying to, as you say, get into a conversation about something and explain something to them. And, and that can sometimes lead, if that person is not responding in the way you wish them to, it can end up in a confrontation on a different level. So your example is, I saw a mother, this is, you know, some years ago now, who had a two-year-old and, and basically the two-year-old had come out of the McDonald's, I think it was, had fallen on the ground and, and, and looked at her knee and, 
and looked at her knee. And when she looked at her knee, she she looked at her knee and found that her knee was bleeding. And and as you say, that the the and that and then she looked at it and then she became scared and she started she started crying. And the mother did did not go over to her and say, "Look, please stop crying." The, the fibrin glands will all come together. They will coagulate. The white blood cells will all come in, starve off the infection. She did not say that because she said, oh, there's a balloon over there. And the little girl who was crying went, ah, oh. It was just a great piece of distraction. Now, I'm not saying that you would say to a 15-year-old, there's a balloon over there. But what I am saying is the same kind of principles, if you like, when it comes to dealing with a situation are very transferable, whatever age they are. But your mood will be the most important one. And if something is upsetting you, is getting you angry, is getting you upset, they will feed off that, trust me. And certain individuals will, will, will feed to a certain extent, more voraciously than others. I think one of the things I will throw in here is there is a big link between mental health and communication interaction skills. So uh, on a previous podcast with Ang Harrod Welsh, we talked about verbal reasoning. If you haven't listened to that podcast, please go and listen to it because I found it fascinating, especially when thinking about my children and in various situations. And so... The fourth level, the highest level is why, the understanding, the abstract, quite abstract. Why did you do this? Why? And if that child's skills aren't there, then they're not going to be able to respond. So sometimes when you're saying these questions, if you're throwing a high-level question at a child, they can't respond, it's going to end badly. So sometimes you've got to think about the communication skills of that child, which is hard in the moment, and simplify the questions to have to have that Conversation. Absolutely. And, and when we're talking about this, you know, a lot of these things dovetail. What you're trying to do, if you're in a situation where you're trying to give, some, give someone some feedback, particularly if they're, in a, if they're feeling, you know, if they've done something which they shouldn't have done, let's talk about behavior. If something has been, has been you know, has been, has been done which shouldn't have been done, you're trying always to reduce the anxiety. Now, if you go in with the big, you know, you should because I tell you to, some individuals will respond to that. But most individuals who are what I would call perpetual offenders, so to speak, will not be influenced by this at all. In fact, again, it will oxygenate them and they'll come back at you. And if you shout, they'll shout louder and it will, it will go. So to a certain extent, if you want, to, you want to diminish, you want to reduce the anxiety, you have to, to a certain extent, control the mood. And like I say, the best way through that is it is all about communication, but it is the most important mood will be managing your own. You set the climate, you obviously determine the outcome of that. And trust me, certain individuals will feed off you if they feel they can wind you up even more. I, yeah, I can, I can imagine certain situations, they're trying to look for those buttons to poke and push and get you to react because then it will all go badly and it will be over. But, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's calm. Always, I think always starting with calm and understanding. And I did, um, when I was chair of governors, went on some governors training, and we're currently sitting opposite each other. In this situation, that's fine. But if often, if you think of police interviews, it's always you're on that side of the desk, I'm on this side. It always feels slightly intimidating. 
And sometimes rather than sitting opposite someone, sitting next to them completely changes it because that's where I'm against you to I'm with you. Look, you know, again, you know, we're we speaking on a podcast. We can't really demonstrate some of these things visually in terms of communication. But as we know, most communication is through nonverbal aspects of that. And as you say, and if you've got a child who's got some autistic traits or someone with maybe has, has, has attachment issues, we know this full-on sort of approach does not work so well and sitting beside someone, not forcing them to eye contact. And, and this is obviously about us understanding, if you like, the traits of certain individuals, but also changing our own, if you like, reaction to those circumstances to, see, to meet the situation. The reason why I, I focus so much on this word, though, is, is because it's something that people find initially too simple, but once they start thinking through this whole area of, of managing mood or managing other people, it, it does seem to show results. The reason why I mentioned early on to you about the others is because if I go to a class to watch you, Dale, then you know what I'm, what I'm watching also are the, are the students around you. And if you've got a student in a class who is very easy to be to wind up, the people around them will be very aware of that. And what they'll do, particularly if the lesson or circumstances they might see is a bit dull, they will look for this person to, to basically entertain them. And they are being what I would call premeditated on that. And you really do need to sometimes reach out to them before you can alter the state, if you like, of the person that you wish to do. So that's why I say, and it can be true at home as well, if you've got siblings who are winding up your, you know, one, the son or daughter who's reacting, it's sometimes reaching out and to them before you deal with it. So it's yours, theirs, sorry, sorry, it's yours, the others, in order to manage theirs, if that if that makes sense. I think especially with uh, stuff like gaming, online gaming, and if a sibling just comes over and turns that TV off in the middle of a game, yeah, that child, every child will react. Yeah, yeah. So... First of all, you shouldn't have reacted like that. It's like, that's true, but they wouldn't have reacted if that hadn't have happened. So there's two things to deal with. Yeah, and, and as I say, you know, in a busy household or in a busy classroom, you know, there's sometimes you, you, you obviously have to deal with what's, what, what, what's in front of you. I think the, the issue is, though, about, and this is where I think when I'm doing training, people often want me to provide them with strategies to solve situations on behalf of the child. And I think initially people are a little bit annoyed. I will say they're annoyed when I start saying to them, in order to influence that, you have to, you know, have to, to a certain extent, adapt yourself. So I think there's a sense of, oh, hang on a minute, this is, is putting it, the onus more back onto me. The reason why we're doing that is because if you get it right, then you basically, you might invest a bit of time on this, but you will save an awful lot of time on clearing up after the incident and if it's in a school if that that reduces a school exclusion then that's going to be taking a lot of time if it's excluding the thing that i find though with with parents is that parents sometimes struggle because they're under pressurized uh, situations to to maybe you know to think about this in the heat of the moment so for example you know, I work with a lot of families who, who the first week or two, I think we do a four week course. And I think they're a bit puzzled early on, a bit skeptical about this issue. But on week three, they come back and say, yeah, thinking about this mood thing really helps reduce stuff. 
Because on week one, what's happened is, you know, Jack sort of, I don't know, hit his brother, you know, on, on a sort of, on a, and it's on a Monday afternoon, and the parent will come in and say, right, you shouldn't do that. You can't have your Xbox for the rest of the week. Now, this is, is, is now saying that he can't have his Xbox not on just Monday, but not on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, until the following week. It was probably too heavy a penalty. Now, and the most important thing with this, if you say it, you have to follow through. Yeah. Had you just stepped back a little bit, taken a, a little bit of time, you might have then said you can't have your Xbox until Wednesday. That gives you two days for, for which, and the rest of the time. And and you and you obviously, you know, you obviously you didn't mean to say it, but it's because you didn't think of it as being, you know, that important at the time. But it's later on when now you've got to deal with Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that you might regret it. Now, obviously, you know, and as I said, that it's hard in the heat of the moment to always think that way. But you do have to somehow, to a certain extent, if it's happening a lot, you almost have to train yourself to be thinking in that way. Have you heard of the chimp paradox? No, I haven't heard of it. So it's a book, you can go read it. And I think some people say it's complete rubbish. When I've talked to somebody, they just rolled their eyes. Someone who knows a lot more than me rolled their eyes at me. So it's probably not, but it's quite a good. It, basically, there is, when you go to answer, there's almost three parts. Although, and the first thing, the quickest to respond is the chimp. Mm. And that's the one that says, no Xbox still. It's like, that's a really quick reaction. But then there's also there's a computer in there. And what you've got to do is let that computer. Yeah have its time mm. to work out the correct answer. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And the correct answer would have been, okay, so no more Xbox, but you've got to almost slow yourself down. So you actually almost have two answers to choose from. And right. I quite like that, that sometimes you're in that heat of the moment, it's the chimp running you. It's deciding everything for you. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, I love the, and it's a little bit, us, I suppose, talking of the reptilian brain versus the rational brain where you, you react. It's a kind of a fight or flight mechanism. We have, I, and it's funny, when you mentioned books, I, one of the books I've been talking about, management of mood versus behavior for years. And then it was interesting, I came across a book by someone called Liz Miller called Mood Mapping. And she was very much talking about how, you know, how this is the most important area for us to map our own mood in order to, to support others. And she highlights a number of features in that book, which you know, are, are really important. And she does talk about the five agents of mood, which are surroundings, your physical health, your relationships, your knowledge, and your nature. Now, to a certain extent, you know, some people are a little bit more laid back than others. Some people are a little bit more reactionary than others. So, you know, we are all going to meet, we're all going to address things in different ways. So I think it is about us, first of all, understanding our own, you know, what pushes our own buttons and understanding our own nature. But there's another of those five agents, you know, there's, there's an awful lot of more I could say about them that I think would actually help support situations both in a home and a school environment. So one of the things I've been thinking about, I've been listening, is kind of the idea of your expectations of others. And I think back to when I very occasionally, obviously, got into trouble in school and you had to go and stand outside the headmaster's office or headmistress's office. And 
I've still, I've, my daughter's primary, when I went in as governor, you saw people standing outside. And I was just thinking about what does that do to that child? So something's gone wrong. You're now being made to stand somewhere, which, and especially if you're one of those head teachers who leave them outside for a while, that's not a great position to be. And they know that every person walking past them knows why they're there. And people might poke them. Oh, oh he's in trouble again. And that's always going to be built. It's just about reducing anxiety. All of this stuff mm. is then increasing that anxiety. And then when you get to come into, you stand in front of it, look at me. All those things that is quite oh, sort of Victorian type all adds to that anxiety and will just put them further away from being comfortable and further away from being able to talk about things. Yeah, very much so. I think we still have this uh, idea of that if you commit a crime, you must be punished. And there's no doubt that the need, if someone, there needs to, if something hasn't been done correctly, there does need to be a reaction to that. You, but the the way what you're trying to do is is to prevent this action taking place again, and to a certain extent, you know, get that person to feel empathy or, or learn from it. So that's what we're trying to do. If you increase the anxiety, then as you say, quite rightly, that person is less likely to listen to you and take on board what you're trying to say because it's a natural thing and then you you may move into a fight or flight and i think that's why your knowledge about you know certain styles of other people is so important here to help you in this journey like for example if you had someone with asd you 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 possibly if they were feeling anxious you wouldn't force them to look at you for example because that might increase their anxiety. If you had someone with ADHD and their eyes were down and they were fiddling with a pencil, you you might find that allowing them not to look at you and fiddle with the pencil, they might actually listen that much more productively. So that it isn't just a simple thing this to get right, but it's about you acknowledging that you create the climate and you could be thinking about some of the things, you know, around you. Uh, that 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 can improve the actual quality and reduce the anxiety and but in your own knowledge you can also be able to react appropriately to different types of people yeah sometimes when 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 you're in trouble as a child sometimes you know you're in the wrong you know you've just been caught and you're going oh god this is going to go badly other times you really think you're 100% valid doing what you were doing. Yes, you get, but no, I was only doing, and I think sometimes is you've got to help them see that it wasn't a valid, that they may think this, but actually it was still a bad or the wrong decision. But if you've made them feel bad, if you've put, made their mood, you, and you don't all, then they never actually, never actually discuss why they did that and why they felt that was a valid decision. You're right. I mean, people will react very differently to situations and and some people will be very honest about it. Some people will be very resistant to take on board what they've done. Uh, That's just a defense mechanism. and, uh, and, And as you know, a lot of people will react differently. In those circumstances, I, I can tell you a trick I used to use, and it's because the school I ran was was for um, uh, children that had learning differences. And uh, what I started to do with students when they came in, and often it's time pressure, right? You think you've got to sort it out there and then, but I will make that point about investing time to save time. 
But what a trick I used to use was um, someone left the flip chart in my office one day. And when this student came in, he was just kind of, you know, just sitting there, very unhappy, wouldn't look at me, which was something that I did learn not to enforce. But what I could tell was he, his, his head was racing. He wasn't just thinking he was going to be in trouble with me. His mum was going to get phoned. He might be excluded from school. He just wasn't listening. So what I did was, and I, a trick I used sometimes when I was a teacher, I just basically on my flip chart, I used to, I used to draw the directions in which we were. And, and, you know, here's where we were, and these were the choices we could make. And, and I used to do stick diagrams, and I'll be honest with you, they can't resist it. They just cannot resist it. And he looked up and he watched what I was doing. And this was when our conversation took place. And by the way, that same trick is very, very useful if you're working with parents in a school system, particularly if they've come in to see you for a situation which is might lead to some kind of consequences. Their heads are racing. They're thinking, oh, no, he's not going to be allowed to go to school tomorrow. How can I pick up? How can I do the shopping? How can I go to work and drop him? look after him. They're not listening to you. Draw it. You draw it. It's a much more concrete way for them to see what they're saying. In fact, some parents used to leave my office and they would take the flip chart piece of paper with them to reinforce it later. So it's using a medium. But if you see what we're trying to do here, we're trying to think, you can be very creative around mood. You can really hit the senses. You, you can you can make people feel more comfortable by putting music on. You can, you can, uh, you know, in some cases, when we're in a bad mood, what do we do to get out of it? Well, we put some music on. We we might light the candles. It's it's hitting the senses, if you see what I mean. And so, if you want to really alter mood, you've got to think about sensory input as well, and how you can reach those other senses in order to change the reaction of the person in front of you. I suppose it comes down to um, when that, if you think about that going to being sent to head teacher and all this situation is when that child arrives at your door, have you already decided they're guilty? That, that sort of thing. So if you're doing all this stuff, you almost decided they're guilty. In reality, to me, the standing outside, standing, looking, it's, it's almost a bit of a punishment. It's almost like, here's your punishment for what you've done. But in that situation, in reality, you should be finding out what's happened you should be making it comfortable you should be interviewing the witness but you should be just finding out okay what's gone on why did you make and, and from that information then deciding what the consequences are but as you said on that, that, that drawing it out is if they're 10 steps ahead and decided this is so bad my parents are gonna get involved mm. i'm gonna lose the xbox for a week i won't be able to play Fortnite for a week if they're already there, then having that thing and helping them see that at different points there are different decisions. Very much so. I mean, look, let, let's let some people be listening now saying, oh, this is just as they're, they're kind of, they're getting away with it and you're, you're just not being a, a, the adult in this situation. See, the, the thing is, the behaviour policies that we have in schools and, and the principles that we have of rules and regulations at home, they work really well for your traditional learner. That's why they work for us. It's a bit like, you know, the, the, you know, and they work really well for them. But they're not always working for the non-traditional learner, which is why you'll be listening to these types of podcasts and looking, right, reading other books, because they haven't worked 
in the same way. So and if they're not working, then you have to be thinking about how to adapt them. Now, we're not saying, you know, get rid of all the, the sort of like the, a bit of the walk of shame, I suppose, that you're talking yeah. about. I'm not saying that is a, is, a, is a good or a bad thing, but I'm saying for a person that, that probably doesn't do something on, on a regular basis, it might be something that is a, you know, has some, I'm not going to say benefit, but, you know, I don't think it's a good way of doing it at all, but it might register with them. But for someone who's a persistent, consistent person who's getting in trouble, that's just not going to register and it's only going to make it worse. So we're trying to be more creative. We're trying to be more flexible and we're trying long term to change the choices. That's what we're trying to do. That's the big thing is it's when I think of my parenting, I don't have to do the same thing again and again. I want to change. I always say, what does sorry mean? Sorry means I didn't mean to, and I won't do it again. So it's, it's, it's looking for that change. And I was reading um, Stephen Fry's autobiography, and he was talking about he was at a boarding school. He loved sweets, and he wasn't allowed to go to he wasn't allowed to go down to the sweet shop and get sweets. But he still went, and he knew that if he got caught with them, he would get caned five or ten times. He just saw that. So if I buy these sweets, it's going to cost me this much money, and I'll get caned five times. And he just weighed that up in his, is it worth it? <laughs> it wasn't yeah. a deterrent. It was yeah. just, it was a price. Yeah. It was, yeah. and I think some children see it that way. I still want to do it. And that's just, going through all this process with those teachers is a cost to it. So perhaps helping them, again, it's changing the decision-making process. It's changing this. And, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to reach people who, to a certain extent, have a different interpretation on how they see the world anyway. And if you have ASD or ADHD or some of the other terms we use, oppositional defiant disorder, the conventional, the conventional reactions to situations will need to be adapted. And you will know this. And we're all searching for ways in which to do things um, differently. But if you take a, an example of, of what we're trying to do here, if you go to some of the one of the things that schools are using right now a lot for children particularly who have a lot of anger issues and a lot of emotional issues, they're using pets for therapy. Now, what is it? And, and, and you know, Dale, I have a big affection for, for the role of dogs in terms of how they've, uh, they've really supported people during, uh, the, during this time. But what the dogs will do often, they are often, often the animal of choice, is they, they, they just reduce the mood. If you have a, a person who's likely to get up and, and start swinging around the you know, room and breaking things, if the dog is in the room, they, they, they just will not react the same way. From, from, a, the dog will look at them in the way, they, and also if they stroke the dog, but hand the dog, all of a sudden the sap goes down. What you've done is an instant mood changer. And now you've got, a, got a someone whose sap was at a 9 out of 10. He's probably at a 5 or 4 out of 10, and then you can work with him. It's not a simple thing to implement in terms of a policy, but in terms of a mindset, in terms of how to support behavior and mental health, which is what we're trying to do here, it, it's, I think it's a much more in, important viewpoint to, to, to try and take on board. I think about dogs is an author, they're, not, they're non-judgmental. Yeah, so you can do what you want and you're not being judged. That's a, I think that's a big thing as part of that as well. Well, with the dog, I mean, you know, it's Monday, it's great. It's Tuesday, it's great. It's sunny, it's great. It's Wednesday, it's raining. It's great. Everything's great with a dog. I don't know what it is about it. And it's not to talk about just dogs per se, but it's talking about this issue of, of mood. And I just want to, 
when I, you know, it's about our mood too. And there's going to be days when we are in a, in a, in not a great mood. But when you're in not a great mood, you say things that you don't mean and you then have to follow through. Like I said before, if you say something, Dale, did it one more time, you come back to my school ever again, you don't have probably, unless you're the head teacher, you don't have the power to implement that. You didn't really mean it and you can't, you can't back it up. And that child will think, oh, he doesn't follow through. Yeah. And they will test you the next time. So it isn't. But you will have days when you are not in a great mood. So the key thing is, but you can't stay there. You've got to do something about it. And if you're in the wrong mood, then don't say it. <laughs> you know, walk away, come back, and then say it when you're in a better place. Now, how do you get into a good mood? Well, people will have different ways of doing that. I can just tell you one trick I use for my own self is, you know, on my cell phone now, I, I, when I was in a bad mood, my screensaver it used to be Jennifer Aniston. It's not anymore. It's a picture of my dog, Riley. And when I look at that picture, the dog is going, I just feel in a better place. And I'm therefore able to deal with whatever is coming up. Dale's laughing too much now. Jennifer Aniston to a dog. Okay. Okay, I'll leave that. I won't go into that at all. I think, yeah, it is changing your mood. And one of the things that I think being a parent, being on the other side, as a parent, one of the things that I think helped my children is showing a bit of vulnerability, showing you're human, yeah? And that thing is being a role model, yeah? Maybe watching a film and seeing someone, it's not, but actually sort of maybe saying, I had I had a difficult time or I this happened to me, or it's, it's little things making yourself appear as a human rather than a robot teacher. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think one of the when you're a young teacher, I think you you know you there's a tendency for you to always feel that you have to feel or say you're in charge. And I think as you as you become more experienced, you realise that you that it's not it's not a, it's never a bad thing sometimes to tell the kids that you didn't get it right and you know you were in a bad mood that day and you know maybe you wouldn't have shouted. I think, but there's a bit of confidence that comes with that. What children like to see, they don't want to see you being their friends. They want you to be the, their leader and their coach. But they know that, you know, they also want to see that you're a human too. And they appreciate it, I think, sometimes if you say, look, I just didn't get this right. You know, I was in a bad place. I wasn't feeling my best today. You know, I, you know, you know Spurs lost again or whatever. And, 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 you know, it's one of those things we are humans. And so we, and I think as you say, but but you don't want to go too far in it either. Yep. But you just want to let them know that, you know, you didn't get it right. It's not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of strength. And uh, and they will then, you know, they know they'll feel. And they, 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 generally speaking, they want you to be their leader. I think this is the issue. Um, there's this area that I, I cover where it, it's kind of like the three styles of a teacher. And you've got, to, and it could be a parent too. You, you can have a, a, you know, you can have a controller that's kind of my way or the highway. It's too kind of, it's too rigid. You've got the friend, if you like, where it's too democratic. And if it's too democratic, children will will see that and may well, you know, walk through some of the holes in that. The, the third style is being a bit of a benign dictator. You know, that doesn't mean that you're unfriendly. You are a friendly leader. That's what you are. But there are rules, there are regulations, there are boundaries, and that makes people feel safe and secure. But it's not, it's not 
what you say, it's kind of how you say it. That's the most important thing. I think it's also is uh, my daughter in secondary school. She loves baking. Her form tutor watches The Great Bake Off. Mm. And if she's missed it, the first thing she'll say on that morning is, don't tell me I haven't watched it. Yeah. And it's just a little bit of, oh, she's got interest. She likes this as well. And it just shows that that person's a human. So when you've got difficulty, and it's not even getting in trouble, when you're struggling with something, you almost feel that that person knows a bit about you, you know, but there's a bit of a kind of more of a connection. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've, it a little bit boils down to personality, as I say, and uh, different personalities will react differently. I mean, I've met some people who are, you know, very serious. I've met some people who are very jokey. I've met some people who, who appear to be not as interested in me as others. And, you know, so we'll have different personality styles, but there's no doubt that if you're looking to make a connection with people, you need to at least come up with something that shows that person that you're interested in them. And sometimes I'm a big fan of distractions, particularly when things get, get heated and, and sometimes going off piece, so to speak, and, and, and talking about something which you know they will be interested in is a good way of, of moving away from the issue to move back to it in, in a different time when you are feeling more relaxed, you know, again, you know, in a, I want to keep saying the word, you know what I mean, but in a more relaxed state of mind. Yeah. One of the things I've just been thinking about, thinking about with uh, my nephew, who I think has ADHD and ASD, is one of the things he actually struggles with is recognizing his own moods, how Mm. he feels. So Mm. all of this Mm. works well if they recognize their own mood, but you might actually have to help them realize how they're feeling and how they're reacting yeah very much so and this is an issue where social you know being self-aware if you like of issues can be can be very difficult for individuals to and to to interpret how they come across i wouldn't say you'd be able to do this in a, in in every case but in in where in my school what we used to have in issues where students were particularly angry and and used to get very anxious as well we, we did film issues in which they were involved and we did show them to a certain extent what they looked and sounded like at that time. And they were astonished. They had no interpretation of all of how they came across. And when you are shouting angrily, you, you don't sound very pleasant and you don't look very pleasant. Now, that's a kind of extreme way of, of actually getting that message across. But, you know, that would be one way in which you could do it at a level. But the other ways would be to actually, to a certain extent, note some of the words that was used and to a certain extent, draw, you know, use drawings again to show their kind of like a, an emoji type system to show how they look like at that time. So I think you can reach people you know, through different mediums for them to understand how they look and sound when they are angry. And like I say, I mean, most of us don't like the sound of our own voice on the telephone when we hear it. You probably would like it less, so to speak, if you heard yourself when you weren't very happy. Yeah. I think, I think he can, you show him any picture, he'll say happy, sad, angry. 
Mm. Can't see that in himself. And I think that, yeah. that filming is, is quite a strong way, but that would be a good way for him to sort of see. Yeah, it's not something obviously you could do without a lot of planning and, and, uh, and, and obviously permission. It was something that we did with, as I say, with some individuals who had more extreme difficulties with self-awareness, if you like, of, of situations. But again, even in that climate, when someone is, the sap is raising, to a certain extent, you're, you still hold, to a certain extent, the, the balance of power in, in terms of how much that rate, how, 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 how high that goes. And there's no doubt that, you know, coming across as calm and in control can definitely help reduce those situations. Occasionally you might throw something out of, you know, pull a, a sort of a rabbit out of the hat. And as I said, I'm a big fan of distraction. And uh, in situations such as that where someone was really agitated, I'm often, for some reason, seeing a cat somewhere in the playground. There may or may not have been a cat there, but I'm seeing it for that moment and getting them to look out the window. And when they come back, usually situations improve. But that's my, that would be my kind of style, if you like. I'm not saying everyone would, would, see, would see a cat in a playground. No, I like that distraction idea. It was, uh, just almost like takes the edge off doesn't it, it just dissolve just reduces it slightly gives you a chance yeah i, I mean i've sat in classes where um, I, i'm a, i'm an observer and i'm sitting beside maybe a 16 year old or a, or a 15 year old and i can see that someone has said something to her and and really got her wound up so she's going to take off and and march across the room. This would be sometimes in, in some of the schools, more specialised schools I've worked in, and she's going she's gonna to get up and she's going to walk across the room and she's going to punch this person and she doesn't care what the teacher says. So I can see it happening. So I have a trick I use sometimes where I'm, you know, I have my, I'm usually writing something down, notes and stuff, but I'll get my phone out and I'll just say sometimes to myself too loudly, oh, God, the internet isn't working today or... Or um, I might even be more creative and say, um, do you know, I might say, what is TikTok? Do you know that this 16-year-old girl cannot resist, cannot resist being attracted to the fact she wants to tell me about the internet or what TikTok is about? And in that moment, I've just distracted her away from the incident. And not to say she still won't be upset, but she... uh, that will have reduced the the risk, if you like, of it happening. Of course, they'll never actually tell you how to do it. They'll do it for you, so you're none the wiser, but you you get my drift. At least yeah. I've distracted her away from the incident. Because the other way of doing it is you see someone don't that and you say the words, don't you dare. And it's like, <laughs> okay, then off I go. Yeah, yeah. You know, as I say, it, it's, um, it's not a, um, a principle that's, easily easily taught and as I say as a policy but as a process I think what I found is that people who start working with this principle of managing mood have found uh, uh, incidences and and, and um, situations reduced quite quite dramatically so rather than going in all guns blazing when you see something's about to go in go in calmly distract 
yeah. dissolve. And, and, you know, and obviously it goes back to the language you use. It doesn't mean you're all too soft. You can be quite, you know, you can be quite assertive. Interestingly enough, body language does play a huge part in terms of increasing or reducing, if you like, anxiety. And, and we know this to be the case. But if someone is, you know, and I can't really demonstrate that now to you, but, you know, if someone's wagging a finger in your face, for example, obviously it's a, that much more of a, you know, demonstrative, you know, you should not do this. Whereas someone had that same finger and put it to their lips, for example, and just did a, like a sh- that's just got a very different, very different flavour. The, the best thing to do, I think, with your hands, generally speaking, is to keep them down by your sides because your hands tend to sort of generate a greater degree of anxiety towards the person in front of you. doesn't mean you put them behind your back, but it looks a bit defensive. But keeping your hands down is better. Sometimes going side on versus full on as well can sometimes work. But you have to feel comfortable with that with yourself because if you're not comfortable with doing that, it will come across as looking stunted and, and too structured. And um, the kids will turn around and say, you've been on a course, miss. <laughs> I think the big one is the same eye level is always a good one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the principles of, of body language have been well documented elsewhere. And, and, and But the issue of, of eye contact, as I said, I would also just be somewhat more flexible on that. For most people, getting eye contact, same level, is a good idea. But for other people who might not give you eye contact, twiddling with a pen might also be more beneficial to reducing their anxiety because making them look at you and making them not fiddle, so to speak, could actually increase their anxiety. And so it's not a crime against humanity not to look at you when you're speaking to some people. What I meant was being at the same level. So if they're yeah, sitting yeah, down, yeah, yeah, you sit down. Correct. I like. Yeah, I mean, yeah, don't don't yeah. be towering above them. Correct. It's correct. It's being at that yeah. level, they don't have to look at you, but it's at that same level is yeah. more comforting. Correct. Because they can see you at the corner of the eye. They can see your face. They might be watching you, but not directly. And as you said before, sometimes maybe you know beside them, and and maybe you know not just. You know, I mean, it's interesting how people will tell me the best conversations they have with their, uh, particularly teenagers, are um, when they're actually in a car driving. So no one's looking at each other, or they're, but they're both communicating. There's two things going on there. One is the movement, I think, which helps the actual overall atmosphere. Uh, and the second thing is non-eye contact. Or some parents I know they go fishing now it's not something i've done but they found that they've had some of their better conversations while sitting side by side with someone in that that environment so um yeah. is that that cause just right it's like lego therapy yeah something like lego therapy it's you're concentrating on the yeah. lego and the conversation isn't the main part of it it's a side correct and i think if you look at i suppose what a lot of counselors will do and therapists will do with young people in particular, they use art therapy, they use music therapy. It's the actual music and the art, which is the focus. The therapy comes in the in the sort of like in the construction of of that of atmosphere of that of that mood. And and as I say, or or even drawing, it's interesting. You talk about that person outside that that headmaster's room. Now sometimes you have to have someone who's who's you know waiting to sit and see someone. But if that person is on a, at a level of nine out of ten in terms of their SAP, what will actually help? Maybe the, the public humiliation isn't what we want to. 
But I've watched children. I used to have, we used to have just a, a drawing pad outside, you know, in an area like that. Drawing, doodling, again, is a, is a mood reducer and, and, and then getting them in place. And that's at any level. In fact, isn't it recently those colouring books came out for adults? Yeah. We've known this for years, worked with children, and I know that if you've been to the Harvester restaurant with your under fives, you give them the thing. But it's interesting because it's distracting them. That's number yeah. one. But it, in the same way, it, it's, it's, it's obviously it's something which is therapeutic as well. I think you find people uh, who spend a lot of time on the phone on hold doodle a lot. Correct. Reducing that frustration. Yeah. We know that movement is, is really good. And, and, you know, and talking about these five agents of mood, you know, exercise is, is no doubt one of them. And if you were to prepare yourself, if you like, for a school day, we're not saying everyone has to go and do a, the 5K park run on a Saturday, but there's no doubt that um, your own well-being in terms of your own sleep, you know, the sort of the, your, own, um, your own ability, if you like, to, to, to protect your mood is really important. And in this book, it does talk about even food. It was one thing about food. It says the most important thing about food is, is not what it tastes like, it's how it makes you feel. And that actually I thought was quite an important just approach. And I think that's, that's true about whatever you do. It's not so much what you do, it's how it makes you feel that overall influences your mood so you can influence others. Whenever I have a, a naughty takeaway, my wife goes, is that good for you? It's, like, it's not good for my body, but it's good for my soul. And I think there's many things that people need to do for themselves in order to do that. And I'm a, you know, a, a, you know, I, without sort of saying what they should and shouldn't be, there's no doubt that, you know, everything in a little bit of what you fancy does you good. Those old expressions were always uh, come back to me. So I think moderation in, in whatever you do is good for you. So the book Mood Mapping by uh, Dr. Liz Miller are linked to in the show notes. And Finton's also given me a book by Daniel Goldman, Focus. Correct. Yeah. And also there'll be links to the Mind, I think, website. Absolutely. As I said, I think what we do need to be prepared for, I think, in this next period of time are a lot of people who will be suffering silently, not just the children we work with, but the adults we work with. So... I think uh, Mind is a is a is a most brilliant organisation to to support. In fact, I just did a, a a challenge for Mind, which you might want to take in involved. It was twenty five press ups a day for twenty five days on behalf of raising awareness for um for people with with mental health issues, particularly um you know some of those ones which will have been somewhat people working on the front line. So I think if you've got a friend or you know somebody who's who's been struggling, then, then, then communicate with them and, and you know, reach out and, and, uh, and see if they're okay. Nice thing. Well, thank you for being on the show today, Finton. Thank you very much indeed, Dale, for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. We'll be putting all the links to the books and the Mind website in the show notes, as I mentioned, and also Finton's contact details. You can find the show notes on your usual place, but also on our website. Big thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, you can subscribe by going to our website, www.thesendcast.com, where you can also sign up to our newsletter to keep up to date with the latest news and latest releases. Alternatively, you can follow us on Twitter, at The Sendcast, on Facebook, The Sendcast, on Instagram, The Sendcast, or on LinkedIn, just search for Sendcast. If you want to get in touch, let me know your thoughts, suggest topics, anything else at all, please send an email to hello at thesendcast.com. 
And if you've enjoyed the Zencast, please have a look at the virtual Zen conference or parent talks. These are conferences that, like the Zencast, are run by us here at B Square, but covers a range of aspects within SEND. And what makes uh, the Virtual Send Conference difference is it's accessed across the internet. It's a conference that runs twice a year in March and November. And each conference has 12 highly valuable sessions designed to help you with each session having something you can take away. You can buy tickets for future or past events. The videos are always available. And the cost for each conference is £60. And that covers the entire school, not per person. And as a listener to the Sendcast, we are offering you a 10% discount just by using this code Sendcast10. And if you're a parent, we've also launched earlier this year Parent Talk. So this follows the same sort of approach, but is aimed at parents. So 12 online talks you can watch whenever you want, and that costs £10 per family. So you can find information about Parent Talks by going to the Virtual Send Conference website, which is www.virtualsendconference.com forward slash parent talks. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sendcast. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Bye.